This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. In our studies today, we're going to be continuing in the book of Job, and we're going to be looking at Job chapters 4 and 5. Job chapter 4 begins the speeches of Job's three friends. Uh, Eliphaz is the one who will be speaking here in Job chapters 4 and 5. And the speeches of Job's three friends, they all agree on one thing. Job is greatly sinned. He needs to admit it. And he needs to repent. Well, Job responds to each one of his three friends' speeches. The first, again, is Eliphaz. It is believed that Eliphaz is the oldest of the three because he's the one who spoke first. Well, as we look there in, in the very first part there of Eliphaz's speech, Eliphaz commends Job in Job chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, first of all, in Job chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Eliphaz hesitates to speak to Job because of Job's great distress. But he just can't help himself. He's got to speak. Job 4, 1 and 2. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? I've got to speak. In other words, Eliphaz is telling Job. And then in verses 3 and 4, Eliphaz commends Job for the good things that Job has done for others. He says, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was fall, or falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. You know, Job, you have helped others. You've helped others. You've instructed them. You've strengthened them. You've held them up. You've kept them from falling. There are those who are weak that you've helped as well. You've done a lot of good things for a lot of people that needed help. Now, it's kind of interesting here. Later on, Eliphaz or one of his friends there is going to change that tone completely. But here he's commending Job for the things that he's done. And in verse 5, Eliphaz tells Job, you need to take a dose of your own medicine. Job chapter 4, verse 5. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. So Eliphaz tells Job, now troubles come on you. And you're buckling under the pressure. Eliphaz is going to tell Job it's time for him to stop complaining. And it's time for him to get right with God. Job, you've helped other people. Now let us help you. And there's some things that we're going to set forth. There's a theory. And Eliphaz is going to do that. He's going to set forth his theory as to why all these horrible things have come upon Job. 
why is he suffering so much? Eliphaz has a theory that he's going to give to him right now. And that's from chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Well, Eliphaz tells Job that his reverence for God is what should give him strength. Verse 6, he says, Is not this thy fear and confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? The American Standard Version renders that verse this way. Is not thy fear of God thy confidence, and the integrity of thy ways thy hope? The literal translation of the Bible puts it this way. Is not your reverence your hope, and your hope the uprightness of your ways? So he's saying right here, you have a reverence for God. And that should give you strength as you're suffering through these things. And then Eliphaz, he doesn't mention Job by name, but he implies that Job is not really the good man that he pretends to be in verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? You see, this is an implication. This is something Eliphaz is telling Job. This is really an accusation that Job is not innocent and he is not righteous. Because he asked the question, have there been innocent and righteous people die up to this point of time? You'll remember where has this happened well, where has it happened? <laughs> it doesn't take long to find it. You go back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. It says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. All Job would have to do is go back and say, Well, Eliphaz, look at Cain and Abel. Abel was a righteous man, and Cain was not. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. So Abel was a righteous individual. So Job could say right there to Eliphaz's statement there, there in Job 4, 7, remember I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, well, Abel did. But Job doesn't answer him there. But we can already see, though, that Eliphaz's argument is faulty. And so will the arguments of his other two friends, Bildad and Zophar. But Eliphaz is getting the ball rolling here. In verses 8 and 9 of Job 4, Eliphaz tells Job that he is just reaping what he has sown. Verses 8 and 9. Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. 
by the blast of God or the breath of God, they perish. And by the breath of his nostrils, they are consumed. So he's saying, Job, you've sown some bad things and you're reaping them. You must be a wicked man because the blast of God's wrath is upon you. Well, you think about it. The disciples of Christ held the same belief that someone is going through a catastrophe or something like that because of their sin. Go to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting statement that his disciples there, whenever they make ask that question, who sinned, this man? that he was born blind. How could a man sin so that he was born blind? We understand that that would be something impossible because little children are innocent. But they had this same idea that Eliphaz is setting forth back here that because this these bad things are happening to you, it had to be because of your sin. Now, A.C. Carpenter, in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectures on page 65, made this statement, and I quote, Indeed, all trouble and sorrow is the consequence of the curse, but not from the individual's guilt, unquote. See, the curse is what God placed upon the human race when Adam and Eve sinned. Go back to the book of Genesis now, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the ground is cursed there. Now verse 18. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The curse of death came upon the human race as well. Well, Eliphaz then illustrates his accusations using an old lion and a cub in Job 4, 10, and 11. He says, The roaring lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perisheth for lack of prey, and the stout lion's whelps are scattered abroad. 
Now, what is he saying here? Eliphaz is comparing oppressive people to a lion, and in this case, he's comparing Job. He's using Job as an oppressive person. And Eliphaz is saying that Job is like a greedy lion with the prey in his teeth, and God has knocked out his teeth. Well, what is he saying? God has knocked out Job's teeth because Job is an oppressive person. And verse 11 there is an allusion to Job's children. Is ten children that died there back in Job chapter 1. Well, he's saying there basically to Job, you had ten whelps, ten cubs, and you are responsible for their death. Job, if you hadn't been an oppressive person, your children might still be alive today. You know, they came to comfort him. Back there in Job chapter 2, verse 11, and about the first thing they start doing is making accusations against him, as we see here. And then, in verses 12 down through verse 21, Eliphaz claims to have a divine revelation. Well, let's look at this. In, verse, in verses 12 to 17, Eliphaz tries to reinforce his argument by appealing to a frightening vision that he allegedly experienced. In verse 12, it says, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received, it, uh, received a little thereof in thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth on men. Fear came upon me in trembling which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes, there was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Well, Eliphaz is stating this, and he says, supposedly the spirit in the vision made this comment. Well, Eliphaz uses this so-called vision to reinforce his accusations that Job is an evil man. Uh, Wayne Jackson, in his work, The Book of Job, on page 36, makes this quote, and I'll quote him now. The vision of Eliphaz is a striking example of the worthlessness of subjective revelation, unquote. Oh, I saw this vision. Well, it's subjective there. And in Job chapter 42, verse 7, we find out that what Eliphaz was saying here is wrong. Job 42, 7. 
And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. So Eliphaz is just trying to use this to back up what he's accusing Job of. You know, God told me this. God told me that. You have people today doing the very same thing. Oh, God told me this. Oh, yeah, what does God's voice sound like? No, they're just trying to get their view across. They're trying to get how important they are and things such as that. Well, Eliphaz goes on to say, God could not trust angels, so how can he trust humans? In verses 18 and 19, it says, Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly, how much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. Well, there were angels that rebelled against God. We look at a couple of places in the New Testament. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, therefore, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, the Greek word there, tartarao, which uh, is defined as by Thayer, the deepest abyss of Hades, they're not in hell right now. But anyway, it says, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And then also look at Jude, verse 6. Jude, verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate or their beginning, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So there were angels that rebelled against God, and they are facing, they're there now, suffering as are unfaithful human beings in a Hadean realm, apparently a different area, but we're not even going to try to get into that. But anyway, Eliphaz is saying, since God cannot trust angels who are totally spiritual beings, how can he trust humans who are built of clay? Again, implying something about Job here, isn't he? Well, Adam Clark in his commentary on, on this verse, these two verses there in Esau, made this statement, and I quote, If angels may be unstable, how can man arrogate stability to himself who dwells in an earthly tabernacle and who must shortly return to dust? Crushed before the moth, the slightest accident often destroys a fly, a grapestone, or a hare can kill 
great men have fallen by all these, unquote. So he's saying, well, you know, God couldn't trust angels. How can he trust you, Job? How can he trust you? Well, Eliphaz tells Job that he is like other wicked people going down into condemnation, verses 20 and 21. Job 4, 20 and 21. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. Eliphaz is telling Job that the wicked are destroyed from morning to evening. Almost every minute someone is born and someone dies. They die and perish forever. They go out of sight. They are corrupt in the dust. They are forgotten. Their excellency goes away. Their beauty, their strength, and their mental talent, mental talents are plucked up by the roots, and no more are they seen or heard. Well, what Eliphaz is telling Job is that he is a wicked and foolish man. That's why all this is happening to you, Job. You know, you pretended to be righteous. God saw through that. You're nothing but a hypocrite. You need to get right with God. So Eliphaz in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 advises Job to call for help. In verse 1, Eliphaz tells Job to call on anyone for help and see if they answer. Verse 1, chapter 5. Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints wilt thou turn? <coughs> Who is going to answer you? Well, Holy ones or saints, according to which version you're looking at here, refers to the angels. So he's saying the angels will not back you up. Well, don't call for them. And then in verse 2 of chapter 5, Eliphaz argues or implies that Job is an angry, foolish, and silly man and he's being destroyed by his own actions. Verse 2. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Job, you are nothing but a foolish man, and you see what's happened to you. And envy, envy. Job, you're an envious man because we still have our stuff. And Eliphaz is going to argue this later on. Nothing has happened to our property. Nothing has happened to our children. But your envy, it's slaying you. You're a foolish man. And then Eliphaz suggests in verse 3 that the fortunes of the foolish man, even though they are established, will be blasted by God. Verse 3 says, I have seen the foolish taking root, 
but suddenly I cursed his habitation. Job said, or there Eliphaz is telling Job, uh, remember what's happened to your fortune? Do you remember what's happened to your fortune, Job? You were taking root. Yeah, things were going good, but suddenly your habitation was cursed. All your wealth was gone. Remember, Job, this has happened to you. Well, in verse 4, Eliphaz accuses Job again of being responsible for the death of his children. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. The gate refers to the town square where the judgments are made. And he's saying, Job, the children of the foolish, angry, envious man are crushed. Job, what happened to your children? He is really making a charge against Job. Job, it's all your fault. You are the reason you lost your wealth. You are the reason that all your children are dead. Well, Eliphaz then tells Job that his troubles came upon him for a reason. Verse 6, Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. You know, these are not just things that happen for no reason, Job. These things have happened to you because of your actions. You lost your wealth, you lost your children, and now you've lost your health. These things just don't spring up out of the ground, Job. There is a reason. And the reason is, according to Eliphaz, Job is a wicked, angry, foolish, envious man. Well, Eliphaz then suggests that man brings trouble upon himself just as surely as sparks from a fire go upward. Verse 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Albert Barnes in his commentary in Esort makes this statement, and I quote, The meaning is that since afflictions are ordered by an intelligent being, and since man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward, therefore it is wise to commit our cause to God and not to complain against him, unquote. Job, you're complaining against God and what you said back there uh, in chapter 3. Of course, chapters weren't invented back then as much later. But he's saying, Job, you need to commit your cause to God. Don't be complaining against God. And then in verses 8 through 26, Eliphaz gives Job his supreme advice. In verse 8, Eliphaz advises Job to seek God. Verse 8, I would seek unto God, 
and unto God would I commit my cause. You know, Job, if I was in your shoes, I would seek God. I would go to God. Eliphaz is convinced that Job needs to repent. If I was you, Job, I would seek God. And then in verses 9 through 16, Eliphaz rehearses the great and wonderful works of God's providence. In verse 9 of God, he says, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Think about God, Job. Verse 10, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields. This is the wonderful God. You need to turn to him. Verse 11, to set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. Again, the implication here on Job. Job is at a low point in his life. All the calamities that have happened to him and he goes, you turn to God. You're mourning. Yes, he is mourning. And you will be exalted to safety if you will just commit yourself to God. Verse 12 of God, Eliphaz says, he disappointeth the devices of the crafty. The American Standard Version says, frustrateth, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. In other words, he's saying there, uh, uh, Job, God has frustrated you because you're crafty. Your hands cannot perform what they want to perform because you're wicked. You've turned from God. You need to turn to God. Verse 3, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the froward is carried headlong. Again, the implication Job, you say you're wise, but you've been taken in your own craftiness. The counsel of the perverse, the froward, carried headlong. You find it interesting, stopping here in verse 13, that Paul actually quoted Eliphaz here in 1 Corinthians 3.19. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 19. <coughs> that verse says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So Eliphaz made a true statement, but he misapplied it. It didn't apply to Job it applies to the foolishness of this world, the wisdom of this world. So again, he made a correct statement, but it did not apply to Job. Well, in verse 14, Eliphaz says, these are, these are the wise that are taking their own craftiness. They meet with darkness in the daytime. They grope in the noonday as in the night. You see, Eliphaz is going back to what Job said 
in Job 3.23, where Job said, Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? Light given. Well, here Eliphaz is saying, You've met with darkness in the daytime. You're an evil man. Again, Albert Barnes on this verse says, and I quote, That is, the wicked are confounded when they see all their plans foiled and find themselves entangled in the snares which they have laid for others, unquote. Job, you've done this to others. Again, you're reaping what you sown. You're just getting back from God what you deserve, and that's going to be brought up later as well by one of Job's three friends. Well, in verse 15, he says of God, He saveth the poor from the sword, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor hath hope, and iniquity stoppeth their mouth. You might just say, wow. Eliphaz has come to comfort Job, and all he has done so far is accuse him, make accusations against him, how bad he is, how, and how his actions have caused the death of his children, his loss of his wealth, his loss of his health. Job, it's all your fault. <laughs> so in verse 17, Eliphaz encourages Job to accept this correction from God and repent of his evil ways. He says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Well, again, it's a true statement that Eliphaz makes, but it doesn't apply to Job. You know, over in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon said about the same thing there. Proverbs 3, 11. He says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. So it's a true statement, but it's a misapplied statement. You know, we're told the same thing over in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. The verse says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto, thee, unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So God does chasten us, but Eliphaz is saying, See, Job, this is what you need to be doing, but he misapplied it. It's a true statement, yes, but it's a misapplied statement there. It does not apply to Job. Well, Eliphaz then uses medical terminology to tell Job that God is purifying him. Verse 18 of Job 5. 
For he maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. So God is punishing you now, Job, so you will return to him. And when you return to him, he will make you whole again. But you must return to God. You know, come on, Job. You need to return to God. Well, that's what Eliphaz is telling him. And then he says, Job, if you will repent, good things will happen to you. And he gives a list of those good things all the way down from verse 19 to verse 26. In verse 19 he says, He will deliver thee in six troubles. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. Adam Clark again quoting him states this, Though a number of troubles should come upon thee all at once, and there should be no hope, humanly speaking, yet God would rid thee out of them all, for he saves as well from many as from few, unquote. Job, all these troubles have come upon you, but if you will repent, if you will turn to God, they'll all be gone. You just need to turn to God. Verse 20. In famine he shall redeem thee from death, and in war from the power of the sword. So he's saying there, Job, if you will just turn to God, God will deliver you from death by famine and death by sword. In verse 21, Thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue, neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh. Well, right now we learn that apparently slanderous things were being spoken about Job, and we'll see some of those later on. But the idea that Eliphaz is setting forth is this. God will guard your reputation and keep slander from being said about you if you will just repent. In verse 22, At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh, neither shalt thou be afraid of the beast of the earth. You know, if you're going to repent you will be happy, Job. You'll be happy. You'll be safe. All these things won't be on you then. You won't have these sores on you. You will, you're, Job, you just need to turn back to God, is what Eliphaz is saying. Verse 23. For thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be at peace with thee. Job, there's not going to be any obstacle, obstacles to you being in peace. You'll be happy. The beast of the field won't be prowling after you and stalking you and things such as that. Just, just turn to God, Job. In verse 24, And thou shalt know that thy tabernacle shall be in peace, and thou shalt visit thy habitation, 
and shall not sin. Well, the Geneva Bible translators left notes, and this is in Esort as well, and this is what they said according uh, concerning this verse. God will so bless you that you will have opportunity to rejoice in all things and not be offended. Yeah, it's interesting there that the King James again renders the verse this way. Thou shalt know that thy tabernacle, that be the tent they dwelt in, shall be in peace. Thou shalt visit thy habitation and shall not sin. The American Standard Version says, shall miss nothing. So it seems more right there, but you're not going to miss anything, Job. But also, you're not going to sin if you'll just turn back to God. You're not going to miss anything. And in verse 25, thou shalt know also that thy seed shall be great and thine offspring as the grass of the earth. It is amazing how many times Job's three friends refer to Job's children. They are beating him down with this. More children you may have will be great instead of dead, Job. Job had to attend the funerals of his ten children. He's suffering through this disease. He's lost his wealth, and Eliphaz is beating him down. You talk about kicking a dead horse. Eliphaz is doing that to him. And in verse 26, Eliphaz says, Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like a shock of corn cometh in his season. You know, Job, your depleted condition of health will come to an end. Just turn to God. You will die in a good old age, like a mature shock of feed. Just turn to God. And Eliphaz then <coughs> concludes his speech by saying that everything he is spoken or has spoken is true. And it's all for your good, Job. Verse 27. He says, Lo, this we have searched it, and so it is. Hear it, and know thou, it is for thy good. Eliphaz assures Job that Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad have investigated Job's situation, and all the things that Eliphaz has said are right, and therefore Job's good. Albert Barnes made this quotation there, made this statement, and I quote him. We have by careful observation of the course of events come to these conclusions. These are our views of the providence of God and of the principles of his government, 
as far as we have had the opportunity of observing, and they are well worthy of your attention, unquote. In other words, Job, you need, you need to listen to what we're saying. You know, we, we really thought that you were this good and, and righteous man. But now that we've come and we've sat these seven days with you, we didn't say anything. And then you began to speak. And you began to say that you, you cursed the day of your death. You wondered why you weren't die. You didn't die in the womb. You wondered why you didn't die at birth. And you start complaining about God. You know, God has hedged you in, is what you said. And, and we have come to these conclusions. The Bible illustrator, again in Esword, makes this statement, and I quote, this is what Eliphaz is saying here. What I have testified in the name of my friends is no dream of theirs. Upon this matter we're specialists, and we bear witness to truth which we have made the subject of research and experience. Lo this, we have searched it, and so it is. Hear it, and know thou it for thy good. By this declaration, he sets forth his teaching with authority and presses it home. He persuades Job to consider what he had said, for it was no hasty opinion, but the ripe fruit of experience. In other words, Job, uh, unquote, Job, we've seen what's happened to you. We've heard what you've said. We've investigated this. We are wise. We've gone through looking at the things that we have observed in the lifetime of human beings. We see how God approaches or what God does to people who are righteous. We've seen what God does to people who are wicked. And Job, you must be wicked. You need to turn to God, and if you will do that, everything will be all right. It's, this is for your good, Job. This is, this is why we said what was said. Well, how is Job going to react to that? Well, Lord willing, in the next lesson, we'll look at Job's reaction to what Eliphaz has just said. Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today in uh, the lesson on Job chapters 4 and 5. Again, the Moody Church of Christ is there in the building, is there in Moody, Missouri, at the corner of Highway E there. Just come by whenever you're there. Uh, come worship with us Sunday at 10 a.m. for Bible class and 11 a.m. for worship. Uh, Sunday evening, during the daylight savings time, we are meeting at 6 o'clock, but during when the regular time goes back, we're going to meet at 5 o'clock on Sunday evening, and then Wednesday evening for 6 o'clock, or four Bible classes. So thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. 
When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram, and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.